Let's get to the Word of God today. We're continuing our series in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 8. And the Word of God reads, we're going to read the whole chapter. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right side stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseiah. And on his left side were Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book, all the people could see him because he was standing above them, and as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. They bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces on the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbathai, Hodiah, Maaseiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed, the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you, Father, for the journey that you've been taking us through Nehemiah. We thank you, Father, that through it already we're learning we have a purpose. There is a will. You have a design for our lives. And that design really is to make you the greatest part of it. 
so that you can be the center of all of our worship and all that we do. Help us to truly become that person even more today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I think all of our cars have one. If you have an older car, you may not have one, but it makes no difference because all of us have smartphones these days. But do you guys use a GPS when you get into your car? You know, I'm old. I'm not from Sydney. I use my GPS all the time. And the thing is, it's not because I don't know where I'm going. A lot of times it's because I just want to know what the fastest route to get there is. So I could be going to my kid's school every single day to pick them up, but I'll still punch it in every day, morning or night, because what if there's an accident? I want to, you know, I just want to get there fast. That's like my priority. Um, I don't know if you guys use I use Google Maps. Maybe you guys use Waze or I don't know what it is. But at least on Google Maps, it's very, very simple. You punch in your destination and it gives you like some options. But it, one of them turns blue because they think it's the fastest one. And then I always just press go because I don't want to bother. So I just press go. Do you know what I'm talking about? And the screen that you see is like you see this arrow that's like pointing up, at least on mine it is. And then you see like a few streets ahead of you. And that's what you see. You guys understand? You guys, everyone understands what I'm talking about. Hopefully, okay, good. You know, if not, get yourself Google Maps. Okay, even as a passenger, get you. Anyway, anyway, you know. And so the thing is, like, for me, if I'm at a red light and I'm absolutely bored, you know, I, I, you know, and especially if I'm going to a new place that I don't know where, you know, where I'm going, like, you know what I'll do? I'll try to say, where is this? Where are we going? And then what I'll do is I'll like, you know, swipe and I'll zoom in, zoom out. Do you get what I'm talking about? And I'll say, where is this road going? Oh, is it going to take it on the A4? Where, where am I going? And I'll do all that and I'll zoom in, I'll zoom out, I'll swipe, I'll swipe, I'll do all that stuff. But then all of a sudden, especially if you're going to a new place, all of a sudden, I have no idea where I am on this map. And I'd be so confused. And before I knew that there was a button that returned you back to your original thing, I, was, I would freak out. You know, and I would zoom and I would see all of Sydney. And I'd be like, I don't want to see all of Sydney. I just want to see where I am. But then Google Maps has this amazing button at the bottom left corner. Right? You guys know what that button is? What's the button? Recenter. Right. And you press that button and it does, and it goes back to the arrow with a few streets right in front of you. Right? I love it. Anyway, uh, I use it all the time. You know, a lot of times I feel like our spiritual journey is a journey of zoom in, zoom out, swipe left, swipe right. Trying to discover where we're trying to go. Where did I just come from? Where's the traffic I had? Trying to avoid stuff. Trying to get to places as quickly as you can, you know. But sometimes we get so caught up on one thing, you know, like our destination, like our careers, our jobs, our kids, or whatever it is, that we sometimes we lose sight of actually our, where we're going. You know, sometimes we're so like uh, afraid of avoiding traffic or avoiding like congestion, avoiding our past, avoiding the ghosts of our past, avoiding certain sins that we lose sight of where we're actually going. Sometimes, you know, we get so caught up in dreaming about what the destination is going to be like when we get there. We look outside our daily windows and we have no idea where we are now. You know, I, sometimes I feel like the spiritual life is kind of like that. And, and a lot of times I've discovered over the years that that recenter button is something that I need to press not on a weekly basis, but a lot of times on a daily basis. Where I'll completely forget where I am, who I am, what I'm about, where I'm going, and what I'm trying to avoid. Do you know what I'm talking about? A lot of times we need to press that recenter button every single day. And when I do so, then all of a sudden, oh, okay, this is where I am. This is where I'm going. This is what we're trying to get to. And this is what we need to avoid. Everything kind of falls into place. Um, you know, when we're confused 
as to who we are or what we're supposed to be about or maybe where we're headed in life or even our value before God. Sometimes we lose sight of that too, right? A lot of times we need to press that recenter button in our faith. And that's actually what's happening in our passage today. You know, the people, they just finished building these walls around Jerusalem. But just like I said in my last sermon in Nehemiah chapter 7, just because you build walls and just because you build a city, that does not make you a Jew, right? The city doesn't make you a Jew. Even though the city was rebuilt, we said last time that the people of God were not rebuilt, right? The people of God were not restored, and their hearts for God were not restored. You know, they were sitting in the car, and they knew they were in the right car, but they just didn't know where they were going. They didn't know who they were before God. They didn't even know who God says that they were and where God wanted them to go. But the greatest thing about this passage is that they got one thing really right. They knew that God was the only voice that they needed to listen to to find out who they were and to where they needed to go. So what happens in this passage? These people call on the leaders of the church and the country to worship. Isn't that amazing? The people called a worship service because they wanted to seek after God together. That's what's so beautiful about Nehemiah chapter 8. And so after the people recounted, they gathered to worship the Lord, which is our ultimate purpose in life, right? We talked about all that. And so Nehemiah 8 is one of those chapters that I find myself reading over and over again. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. People always ask, if you can get into a time machine and you can go back to any time in history, Nehemiah 8 is like top five. And the reason why is because the people wanted to hear from God so desperately. I've been pastoring so many churches. I've been a member of so many churches in my life. But I've, it's rare that you get people in a church who just want to worship so badly that they're calling their pastors not to complain, but they're calling their pastors to say, man, we need to worship more. We need to like just get together and just worship God more. We need to hear God's word. You know, Eddie, why don't your sermons go three hours? Why do, why do you stop at 35 minutes? You know what I'm talking about? When was the last time you've been a part of church like that? I don't, it's been a long time. You know, um, it's, it's such a dream to be a part of a church that is so hungry for God. That's all that, 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 that's all that want, they want. And I think this, is, this always becomes, this chapter, I read it so often because every time I pastor anywhere, this is my prayer for every church, that we become a church that just wants God so desperately, that we'd be willing to do Nehemiah 8, because we just want God, right? Um, what's this chapter really about, it's about people realizing how much they really want God in their lives and how much they really need God in their lives and doing something about it, right? It's people who realize that they're not where they want to be in their relationship with God, so they do something about it, you know? It's about people realizing how awesome it is and how necessary it is to have God as the center, not only of their lives, but of, among their community, and doing something about it, you know, making him greater. And that's something that all of us want, don't we? That's something that all of us want. But how do you do that? How do you build your life? How do you build your church? How do you build your faith so that it's recentered upon God 
alone. And our passage gives us three disciplines that we can practice, that, we'll, that we can cultivate and practice in order to make him the center. And the first is this. The first thing we need to do is hear God. We need to learn how to hear God or hear God. Okay, that's fine. You know, in this passage, what we see is that there are people gathered in front of this wooden stage that was built specially for this particular occasion. And what's awesome is the people are like literally yelling at their spiritual leaders to read the, God, to read the word of God to them. They're yelling. They're commanding. They're shouting at their spiritual leaders. We want to hear the word of God. You know, read it to us. That's absolutely amazing. And, and the thing is, what you have to realize is these people here, they've never heard the word of God like this, right? And so they're desperately hungry. The, before they ever came back to Jerusalem, these guys were slaves. These guys were captives, you know. And, when, and they returned to Jerusalem in order to rediscover who they are. And who God says that they are. They wanted to recapture their identity. So what did they do for the first few years? They rebuilt the walls of the city in faith that through that they're going to learn that God's going to speak to them. But what they knew deep inside their hearts is once again, walls don't make them Jews. Walls don't make you a people of God. A church building doesn't make you a Christian. Who God says you are does. God's word does. And so they beg and shout, and they call and command Ezra to read those words. And they're hungry and thirst, and they're absolutely thirsty to hear what the Lord has to say to them about them and about who he is. And so they're so hungry that they stand there for six hours listening. Six hours listening to the word. Standing. And not only that, but their kids are next to them, and their grandma and grandpa's next to them, too. That's a miracle. My kids cannot even sit through this service. You know what I'm saying? They can't even sit through the opening praise. But they're standing there. These people, they were standing there for six hours listening. That's absolutely amazing. But what's really amazing is that none of this was commanded. This was out of their desire. This is a product. This day was a product of their desire to hear God. You know, they could have easily been like, oh, man, you know, after like one hour, I had a, I've had enough of this, man. My feet hurt. You know, my kids are complaining. Nana's bunions are flaring up. Oh, we got to go home, you know. They could have just quit, but they didn't because they were so hungry, right? When was the last time that you hungered that much to hear the word of God, you know? What was amazing about this day, too, is that it wasn't just one guy reading the scriptures in the front like this, but there were all, all the other priests and all the other teachers were like dispersed throughout the crowd. And the reason why they were there is because they knew that the people would be confused or maybe they couldn't hear everything. They had no PA systems, so they couldn't hear everything. So they were there to answer all the questions. They were there to truly explain everything, all the things that God's word was saying. They wanted everyone to understand because they realized how hungry everyone was to understand. It's amazing what was happening that day. If you want to build your life with God as the center, you need to cultivate a hunger to hear what God is saying to you through God's word. 
right? And the only way to do that really is to study the word regularly, to engage it regularly, right? The word, and the reason why is because the word teaches us and it reminds us of who God says that we are and who God designed us to be. It's filled with his promises, not only for you, but for this world. We know what's ahead, right? And it's filled with descriptions and stories of who he is and what he's about, his heart, for his people, his heart and desires for this world. And we can tap into that and understand him. But the most important reason why we need to daily engage scriptures is because scriptures is Christ himself, right? The word of God is Jesus Christ himself. And the more you engage the scriptures as Christ, the more your heart and your will is going to bend towards him, to want to worship him, and to want to follow him. And that's why we need to listen to sermons. That's why we need to go to CGs and study scripture together. You know, that's why we need to have quiet times, all of those things. You know, it's not so that we can feel good about doing our religious duty every single day or every single Sunday, but it's so that we can hear from God himself. And that's absolutely important. Because the truth is, if we don't actively seek after God to hear his voice through the perfect word of God, through the absolute authority of the word of God, the truth of God, then if we don't do that, then the reality is that we are going to naturally just look for something else to follow or something else to worship within our lives, right? And we're going to start aligning ourselves to that. You know, I, I know I'm a pastor, but there are times that I'll go a week without having a quiet time. You know, honestly, last week. I, went the whole, I didn't preach last week, so I was like, oh, I'm free. And I just didn't open my Bible. You know, confession time. But I didn't. And, you know, but the thing is, I still prayed. I still pray every day. I still talk to God. I walk with God. And by the end of that week, honestly, I thought, hey, man, I'm good. You know, I'm good. I got a lot of, you know, I, I built up my bank. You know, I stored up a lot of good stuff with God. You know, that does, it doesn't work like that. But, you know, I just felt good about myself. And I thought that I was totally fine. But what I soon discovered is that by the end of the week, I was going a bit rogue, right? And the, re the way I discovered that was all of a sudden, I realized that my affections and my desires and my habits were going for so many other things besides Christ, you know? And that's when, to me, that's a telltale sign. Even my wife would be like, dude, you're doing a lot of online shopping these days, you know? And I'll be like, oh, crap. You know, I, I, and I'll, the first thing I'll think is I'm not aligning myself to truth. I just think I'm okay because I'm praying. But what I discovered is that by the end of the week, I was praying my own desires. I was doing my own desires. I was doing my own thing. I was planning my own life, and I was doing everything. But I was doing it with God, but I really wasn't. And so you start to go a bit rogue there. And so you know what I immediately do? I open up my Bible, I read, I meditate, and I, and I start to memorize, and I try to apply. Because I realize that if I don't align myself with truth, I will start worshiping something else or aligning myself with something else. To me, it's that simple. Over the years, I've, I've discovered that the only way to really align yourself with God and to cultivate a heart that wants to hear from God and follow God is to continually study the scriptures and to treat scriptures as God himself, not just to study a book, but to really know that you're coming before Christ. And every single time he does, his truth not only clarifies his thoughts to me, you know, but I once again discover how he feels about me and how he thinks about me, and he invites me to be that person 
every single time I do so. And that way my life not only becomes a worship, but remains a worship to the Lord, right? So we need Jesus, we need the word, and we need it to be our only authority in our lives. And only the regular study of scripture and regular interaction of scripture with him will get us there. You know what I love about, you know, I'll tell you one more thing I really love about this passage. I love so many things, but as the people, there's these verses in verse 6, it says, as the people heard the word of God being explained to them, they would just randomly shout, Amen right? And they would clap, and they would fall to the ground and put their faces on the ground. These guys must have been Pentecostals, right? Maybe they, maybe they had their, you know, Jerusalem full gospel church or something like that. But, I mean, they're awesome. No one taught them to do this. This was out of their hearts. They're reacting to hearing God's word. And, and it was amazing, because you just have to realize, like, it's you're listening to God's word, and all of a sudden, God's truth is so powerful that it, it, you cannot help but to have a visceral reaction to it. These are people who truly wanted to hear God, you know, and they were hearing God on that day. And it overwhelmed them so much, it caused them to worship. And that's what needs to happen to us. But it only happens when we treat God's word as God himself. Right? Scripture is not just a good book. It's not just a good book of good moral rules. It's not just a good holy book as well. It's not a manual. It's not a collection of great stories. It is God himself. And when you approach the word as God himself and you open your heart to him, you'll hear what he has to say. Not only about truth itself, but about you and what your life looks like alongside that truth. And that's what we need to hear every single day. That's how you recenter your life upon him. Learn to hear from him. Secondly, we need to connect with him. Now, as the word was being read and preached, all these people began to weep, right? Visceral reaction. Not only cry, I'm not talking cry, weep. That's like uncontrollable crying, right? And the reason why they wept is because they saw and they felt how sinful they were before this holy God, this holy God of love and faithfulness. And their guilt and their shame caused them to weep, okay? That's the situation. But what's really interesting here is what the spiritual leaders tell them to do, right? This is, let me just sum it up. This is what they said. Hey, quiet. You know, stop crying. Go and celebrate. And if people don't have enough food to celebrate, share yours with them. But... To reemphasize, be quiet. Stop crying. And the reason why is because this day is holy. And the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Right? That's exactly what it says. And if we didn't know any better, it sounds like very, like, uncompassionate commands given by, like, just religious leaders who are not tuned in. You know? Because these people are weeping and repenting before God. You would think that they would try to comfort them. But it just sounds like God's telling them to be quiet and go throw a party for him. Why? Because it's my day. It's not yours. You know, this day is mine. It's holy. But don't worry. My joy will be your strength. You know, it's so, like, cold. It can be so cold. But what's actually going on here, let me explain what's actually going on here. What we get in this passage 
is we get the beginning of the story and we get the end of the story. Unfortunately, and I don't know why it's left out, but the whole middle of the story is left out, okay? Um, but let me fill you in on the middle of this story. So what's happening is these Jews, they're genuinely sorrowful over their sinfulness and they're weeping uncontrollably because they felt so bad before God, which is absolutely awesome. It's a very rare thing for a whole church community, let alone a whole nation, to weep before God because they feel like they're sinful before this holy, amazing, awesome God. It's one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see in Scripture. And so you get that scene. And so what happens, and what you have to realize is when people are genuinely weeping because they want God, because they're hungry for God, because they know they're sinful before this beautifully holy God, you got to know that God loves that. Because all their, their whole desire is to be him, to want to be like him, to want to follow after him. And so God absolutely loves that. And because God loves and honors that, he tells the people how much he loves them. He tells the people how much he you know, is so proud of them. He rejoices over them and how much he forgives them and how much he's still committed to them. He's their God. And we've learned that ever since the beginning. All he's ever wanted to be was their God in heart and in body and everything. And at that moment, he is. He's their God. And they're his people. And they can't wait. And they hunger to be his people even more. And so he's just absolutely, like, totally, you know, head over heels over his own people. And it's absolutely such a beautiful, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. And so he declares that this day is holy. Why? Because this is the day that my people return to me. This is the day that my faithfulness to you and my goodness and my commitment to you is realized in your heart. That's why this day is holy. And that's why he declares that this day is holy. And realizing this, he then says, so go home and celebrate Throw a party for a whole week because we've been waiting like 60 years, even more for this day. The day that you guys actually become my people once again. And I become your God. And the thing is, these people, they, they, they run home. And they run home and they throw a party for a whole week. And if their neighbors don't have anything, they share their food, their supplies with them. And the reason why they do, and the reason why they did it with such a, an amazing heart, is because on that day, the one question that had been plaguing their hearts for decades was finally answered. And what was that one question that was plaguing their hearts? It's the, it's the question that a lot of Asians always ask whenever we think about our parents, okay? Especially if you grew up with abusive parents like mine. Anyway, totally forget that line. The question that they were asking is, does God really love me unconditionally? I mean, we like betrayed him. We sinned so bad that he actually sent us off to Babylonia for 60 years to punish us. And yeah, we came back, but ah, God's, I'm sure he thinks differently, right? There's no way that he's still committed to us, that he still loves us. Is it really unconditional? That's the one question that they were asking themselves. And in this day, on this day, God answers that question with a resounding, yes, of course I am, 
right? That's why he says, stop crying. Today's not a day to cry. I love you. And all I want is for your joy, my joy to be yours because my joy is pouring over you because I love you and I forgive you and I welcome you back, right? It's a day to celebrate because my joy is now your strength. And he's like commanding them to now walk in confidence, to now walk in joy because the Lord of the universe is rejoicing over them that day, right? That's what the day was all about. And that's something that I think all of us need to remind ourselves every single day. No matter how badly you may have sinned, yesterday, this week, the past few years, even this morning, because of what Jesus Christ did upon the cross and the resurrection, right? God's love for you can never change. His forgiveness is infinite towards you, no matter what sins you may have committed. And his love and affections for you can never change. Because he can only now see you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not only has his forgiveness covered you, but his righteousness has covered you. Which means he can only now see you as perfectly sinless. No matter what. Because all of your sins that you sinned this morning has already been forgiven and paid for by Jesus Christ. Every day we can celebrate. Jesus Christ made it possible for us to press the recenter button in our lives every day single day. That's why there's never a situation in your life, no matter what yesterday looked like, where you can never go directly to God and talk to him and expect him to love you, right? Because that's what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. And when we do, we'll discover not only how holy and beautiful God really is, but that his affections for us has never changed. Our identity as his child has never changed his affections for us have never changed, and his commitment to us has never changed. And because of that, we can always celebrate and be confident in God because of what Jesus Christ did for us. If you want to recenter your life upon God, you need to connect with God. And you know what? That, that really does begin with faith in Jesus Christ. Right? It doesn't begin with us. It begins with what he did for us, right? Put your trust in what Jesus Christ did for you and let that lead you to repentance. If that leads you to guilt, and that's good because, you know, before a holy God, because then hopefully you'll come and find that your only hope of forgiveness, restoration, and hope is in Jesus Christ alone, and that will turn your heart back to him. But what you need to realize is repentance is never about how bad you were. But repentance is only about how good God is to forgive you, to restore you, and to remind you of his commitment to you that never changes. And if you have that, then the joy of the Lord can always be your strength every single day. Let's connect with God today. And I think maybe a lot of us need that. Lastly, we need to obey God. In the last section of this chapter, we see that the leaders of Israel, they got together and they started reading God's word and they say, hold up. We missed something here. We were supposed to celebrate this, but we didn't. And what they were missing was something called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, right? In, our, in the NIV, it says the Feast of Temporary Shelters. Okay, that's exactly what it is. Uh, it's a temporary shelter that they were commanded to build. A lot of times they built it from sticks and twigs, and they built it on top of their roofs, and they were to stay in that for a whole week. They were to drag their family up there and stay in there for a whole week. Can you imagine building a shelter of twigs on your roof? 
And especially in the Australian sun, the Middle Eastern sun is even worse. It's you know, a booth, right? It's not very big. Um, they did that because uh, that's how they, they built shelters like that in the middle of the desert when they were wandering. And so they, do, they celebrate this feast to celebrate God's faithfulness and provision through the time they spent in the desert. So God said you should do that to remember that not only was I faithful back then to you, providing for you food, water every single day, but we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles so that you will always be confident in my faithfulness and provision to you every single day. That's why you do it. But can you imagine building a shelter like that? You know, it's very small. It's cramped. There's nowhere to sit. There's no AC. But it's like Middle Eastern sun, man. You know, you're sweating. You're suffering. You know, what's that like? And, you know, your kids are complaining because, Dad, it's so hot. When is this going to be over, right? And that's just the first hour. You have seven days you got to do this, all right? Seven brutal, brutal, brutal days of obeying this thing. But you know what happens, you know, as the parent, you got to be the responsible one. So you say, you tell your kid, hey, we're doing this for this reason. And you explain this story of how God is faithful to them. And then all of a sudden you start to realize, hey, hold up. God said he was faithful back then. God said he's always going to be faithful to us. Oh, my goodness, look, somehow, some way, we come back to Jerusalem. We just rebuilt the city. And now God's commanding us to do this because he said he's going to be faithful to us. You know, and so you start teaching your kids the reason why we're suffering up here is because God is going to be faithful to us tomorrow. God's going to be faithful not only to me, but to you, right? And you start teaching this. And as you teach it and you hear those words start coming out of your mouth, all of a sudden you start to root yourself in those words and you start to realize, oh, maybe it really is true. Maybe I can trust in God once again. Maybe he really will be faithful to me. And what started out as suffering that week Seven days later, let's fast forward. What, would, what, what does your faith look like seven days later? Yeah, you could, maybe you're like wrinkled and bitter. Or you could literally be, full of, be filled with hope and confidence in this God who you know now will always be faithful to you. Right? What I love about this passage is the moment they realized that they weren't celebrating this feast, you know, they didn't hold a prayer meeting. They didn't gather the elders together and form a committee and talk about what they should be doing. They just literally said, hey, we're living in disobedience. Let's obey. Yes, it's probably the worst feast we can do. <laughs> but let's all obey. Why? Because our obedience will transform us to put our hope in God for tomorrow. Our obedience, through our obedience, God will change our hearts to have confidence in him and to walk in his ways tomorrow. And that's why it's absolutely essential to live in obedience each and every single day, right? Because obedience changes our hearts and our lives to celebrate our hope in God. And that's why we need to do it every single day. It's one thing to know a truth. It's another thing to believe in a truth or say that you believe in a truth. But lives change when you live out a truth. Right? We need to live in obedience, and that's what happens when we obey. So hear God, connect with God, and obey God. If you practice these things, it will recenter your life upon Christ and will help you remain centered upon Christ. Let's pray.
as I was preparing this sermon this week, I don't know what it was, man. But I just really feel like a lot of us need to press that reset button, that recenter button, you know? I mean, our heart is, we want God. And, and we, we pray, you know, and, and we talk to God and our faith is real. But when we look at ourselves, maybe our faith in Christ is not our primary identity. But deep inside, we really want it to be, you know? So can I invite you to seek after God today, to put your faith in Jesus Christ today, to press that recenter button, not because you deserve it or because you're great in any way, but because Christ paid the price so that you could press that button. So that you could once again follow God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being. And whatever sins that you felt addicted to yesterday, you can now be freed because of the power of the blood of Christ in your life. Trust in his forgiveness and in his righteousness and make him your priority pursuit today. You don't have to wait for a camp to do that. Make him your priority pursuit today. And let's recenter our whole lives upon living for him alone. Let's pray. Father, there are hearts in this room that just want you. And uh, all we can see a lot of times are, are, are the failures of our past or like all the negative stuff or the things that hang us up from really living the life of faith that we really want. God, I pray that the gospel of Jesus will be more powerful than that. Reveal the gospel of Christ to them so that it'll become that much greater. Reveal yourself to them so that they can truly see how amazing and awesome you really are and allow that light to really overshadow any of the 
the sins of the past or the hang-ups that we have within our lives. Create within us that, that hunger and the desire to just want you and convince us that you alone is enough. But God, we need you to do that. So you got to do that within our hearts. Help us to be a church, God, that truly, honestly, sincerely values you highly as the highest and help us to get there so that all that we do can truly be for you. We just thank you, Lord, for your love and your faithfulness that never changes. We thank you, God, that no matter what we do, our faith ultimately is not even about us, but it's all about you. So we praise you and we glorify you and we honor you and we love you and we thank you. Um, Please become greater within each one of our lives and in our church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.